0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius podcast. Well, grab your Bibles, grab your sermon notes. Many of the scriptures that we're going to look at today is going to be on the screen. Uh, so if you have your sermon notes, you can follow along there as we have the scripture on the screen. And today we're in our third and final week of a series that we have called The End. And I'm telling you, I'm glad that we're at the end of the end. Um, it's been fun, but wow. As, as you think about all that, the end time involves There's a lot of pieces and trying to kind of put all of those together. But so far in this series, we talked about what we can be certain of and we talked about the judgments that are to come. If you missed either one of the last two weeks, I would encourage you to check out the podcast. But the first week of this series, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 and following. And we talked about three things that we can be certain of. We said that what, the return, we have the return that Jesus is coming back for his church. We said we have the rapture, that we are going to be caught up as believers. We're going to be caught up. And then we said the third thing we can be certain of is the reunion. The scripture says that we're going to live with God forever. So that's what we can be certain of as we think of the end time events. And then last week we talked about two judgments, two different judgments that's going to happen at two different times for two different group of people. We talked about um, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, which is a place of reward. We believe it's going to happen when Christ returns following the rapture, that believers are going to be rewarded for their good works, how they've lived out the faith at the judgment seat of Christ. We also talked about a second judgment being the great white throne judgment. And this is a place of judgment for those who have chosen to reject Christ as their Savior. Um, for them, it's not going to be reward. For them, it's going to be um, a pretty frightening eternity um, to embrace. Well, today, as we. As we conclude this series, we want to look to the book of Revelation. And what I want to do this morning is do an overview of the whole book. Now, obviously, in the 20, 25 minutes I have left, I'm not going to be able to go deep into the details of the book of Revelation. But my goal this morning, if I could tell you, here's my target. My target is to help you be able to read the book of Revelation with greater clarity and greater understanding that you would have a a, a greater, um, that you would better be able to kind of piece together what you're reading as you look to the book of Revelation. Because like the the book of Revelation has become known as like the hardest of all the books of the Bible to read. There's 66 books in the Bible, and some of you have been treating the Bible like there's 65. (laughs) Because it's difficult to understand. I mean, there's all of this symbolism and, and imagery. I mean, we have things in the book of Revelation like angels riding on on horses, we have earthquakes, we have hailstones that weigh a 100 pounds, we have the beasts coming out of the sea, we have dragons, and that's just the beginning. Then all of this can make the book intriguing, but confusing, exciting, but also a little bit scary. Now let me ask you a question this morning, and it's okay to be like totally honest. How many of you would just say, hey, I just kind of avoid the book of Revelation? Uh, several hands. And it doesn't surprise me, because again, it can be challenging, a, 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 as I said, a, a bit scary. I remember, true story, when I was in the fifth grade, so this is going back, uh, wow, a number of years. But when I was in the fifth grade, the Gideons, the Gideon organization came to our school. And this is Arkansas, and this was at a time when they could still come into the schools and pass out Bibles. And so they came into our school passing out Bibles. In fifth grade, I received the little green New Testament Gideon Bible. How many of you remember those? So I received my little New Testament Gideon Bible. Now Being a preacher's son, growing up in church in Sunday school, I knew about the book of Revelation. Obviously, as much as I could understand, I didn't know all the details. And still today, I don't know all the details. But I I knew about the book of Revelation and I knew in Revelation chapter 13 there was a chapter about this scary beast coming out of the sea. And it was something like 666 and the mark of the beast. And so I remember this really happened. Fifth grade, I took my little Gideon New Testament and I took all of my buddies to Revelation 13 and I told them about the beast that was coming out of the sea. And there was the mark of the beast. And as long as I, had, I scared them and my little buddies were shaking, they all wanted to get saved. It was my first great evangelism effort <laughs> using Revelation 13. I really did that. And I wouldn't recommend it. It's probably not best to scare people into heaven by using the mark of the beast. But as a fifth grader, it seemed to work. Um... But there is there is, as I've said, there is kind of this frightening side to the book of Revelation of the reality of of what's before us and what's gonna happen as as we come to the end. But again, we, we really don't need to be in fear. Matter of fact, most of what we're gonna read about most of what you read in the book of Revelation happens after we're all gone anyway. I happen to believe Revelation chapter 4 forward is all about what happens after the rapture. So the church, the believers have already been caught up. And then we have these end time judgments, these end time events playing out as judgment is coming upon the evil of our world. But if we think of the book of, the, Revol- the book of Revelation, oftentimes it's misunderstood and it's misinterpreted or, or simply avoided. I think because of two main reasons. Probably more than two, but two main reasons. Why is the book of Revelation so confusing? The first is this. Oftentimes individuals read the book of Revelation looking at it in a linear fashion. Like chronological. Like, like we think what after number five comes number what? And after number six comes... Just makes sense, doesn't it? And oftentimes when people read the book of Revelation, they read it thinking that this is some type of chronological order. And it's not. John's receiving different visions, and the visions are overlapping. So again, there's a lot of moving pieces. So, so if you read the book of Revelation in a linear fashion, thinking that you know, it, it, you know, one chapter follows another, and here's how it chronologically falls out, you're going to be like totally confused. You're going to walk away saying, what was that all about? So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is, is oftentimes we look to the book of Revelation through the wrong set of lenses. Or we have the wrong perspective as we look to the book of Revelation. Have you ever taken someone's prescription eyeglasses? Not your glasses, someone else's glasses. Let's say, for example, uh, you have a friend and, and their glasses like are really thick. And you take their glasses and you put them on and all of a sudden everything looks what? Blurry. Blurry. Everything looks confused. You can't you can't you you can't get definition. Why? Because you, you have someone else's glasses on. Or maybe you've seen this illustration before, you take a tapestry, a beautiful woven tapestry. If you look at the tapestry from the back, what you see is garbled mess. Knots and strings. And like it, there's no definition. There's no definition of this, this beautiful piece of artwork. Why? Because you have a wrong perspective. Like I have this on the screen. This is a tapestry looking at the backside. And it just looks like, what? It looks like a mess. There's knots and strings. And it's kind of going everywhere. And there's not a lot of definition. That's what it looks like on the backside. But if you get a different perspective of the same piece of art, this is what it looks like. It's, it's, it's the same tapestry. All of a sudden, we just got a different perspective of the same thing. So oftentimes the challenge when it comes to the book of Revelation is we have the wrong set of glasses on. We're looking at it through the wrong set of, of lenses, if you will. So what is the right perspective? What's the right perspective from which we want to read the book of Revelation Looking there to your notes this morning, the book of Revelation will never make sense as a collection of prophecies until it's approached as a handbook of worship that reveals Jesus Christ. The main character in the book, the book of Revelation, is Jesus. He's the one that's in control. He's the one who's worshipped. And He's the one who's dictating the end time events. Dr. Jack Hayford wrote a book called Equake. It's a great, well-balanced book. On the book of Revelation, (coughs) on the book of Revelation, and in it he has this statement, and I think this statement summarizes or says it so well. He says, Revelation isn't an invitation to speculation. And that's oftentimes that's what we do with Revelation. We're speculating about, okay, how's this going to happen? Who's the Antichrist? And When's the Antichrist coming? What's the mark of the beast? Who's going to get the mark? We're speculating. But Dr. Hayford says Revelation isn't an invitation to speculation. It's a summons to adoration. It's a call to focus on the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, when I began to read the book of Revelation with the focus, with the set of lenses I'm going to give you today... It totally changed the way I read the book. And all of a sudden, I began to put the pieces together, and it began to make sense. And again, not that I fully understand. I'm not trying to tell you today, one, that I'm a specialist on the book of Revelation and end times because I'm not. And secondly, not that I understand all the details, but when I began to look at it again through the set of lenses I want to give you, all of a sudden, I began to be like, wow, now I get it. Now it makes sense. Now I, I, I can see it coming together. So the, the Revelation, the book of Revelation, or the Revelation is not about end time events. The Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And that's the point of confusion is oftentimes we go to the book of Revelation and say, "Whoa, I'm going to get a revealing of what's going to happen. I'm going to get a revealing of how all of this is going to end. And that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about Jesus. Go ahead and tell him. The book of Revelation, if you get nothing else this morning, if you walk away with nothing else, I want you to go away with this. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. It's not all about end times. Does it talk about end times? Sure it does. What's going to happen? Some of it's in there. But first and foremost, it's the revelation of The Lord Jesus Christ. So before we get into how this book breaks out, I'm going to give you five specific sections. Again, in this overview, let me give you just a bit of historical information. I think this will be helpful. The book of John was written by, uh, uh, excuse me, the book of Revelation was written by John the Apostle around. 66 years after the resurrection, or about 95 A.D., give or take a little time. Written by John the Apostle. Now, all of the other disciples, apostles, have died. We know that Judas took his own life after he betrayed Christ. Interesting, the other ten disciples were martyred for their faith. So if you're a skeptic, if you're here today and you're a skeptic about Christianity, think about this. There were ten men who were so convinced that Jesus was the Son of God who was uh, crucified and resurrected, that they were willing to give their life for that which they believed. Ten men martyred for their faith. So there's one disciple that's left. His name, again, is is John. And the emperor at this time, about 95, 94 AD, the emperor declared himself to be God, and he says, everyone's going to bow and worship me because I'm God. Now John, being that he had seen Jesus and he knew that the emperor was not Jesus, said, "You're not Jesus, and I'm not bowing to you." And emperor said, "Okay, I'm going to exile you. I'm going to isolate you. I'm going to send you away. Here's your punishment." And so John, the apostle, but because he wouldn't bow to the emperor, is exiled to the Isle of Patmos. If you can, you can go actually go today to uh, what some would say is the cave where John received this revelation. It's the first day of the week. John was in worship and in the midst of that he receives a revelation, he receives a vision um, from angel and Jesus himself. And John then writes this letter to, originally it was to the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches. If you read chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is addressing seven different churches. These were churches in the region, so these are real churches. He was addressing issues in the church and then we have this greater vision, this greater revelation of Jesus Christ that was written to the churches. And I would encourage you, as I break this down for you in these five sections, I would encourage you to read the book. Forty-five minutes, you can read the book. And, you, and I, want, I want to give you again a set of lenses, a set of glasses, if you will, through which to read the book. And... Uh, you still may not ha- have all the understanding. It still may baffle you some. But I want you to listen to what this, how the book begins. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, reads like this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it. Listen, it doesn't say blessed are those who understand this book. What does it say? Blessed are those who read the book. Blessed are those who, who, who take time to open their lives to the Word of the Lord. And as you open this book, I encourage you, as you read the book, I want you to look for Jesus in the book. Because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not a revelation of the end times, but again, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you read, when you read the book in light of who Jesus is in Revelation, you're not going to be freaked out, it's going to build your faith. So who is Jesus in the book of Revelation? Really quick, five statements, and this is the summary of the whole book. In the first sections, chapters 1 through 3, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's returning soon. That's the theme of the first three chapters. And there's this overarching idea that Jesus is returning for His church. Now, we don't know exactly when, but Jesus said He's coming back, and we believe but that he's returning for his church. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, we have this scripture on the screen. Listen as I read. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is And who was and who is to come? The Almighty. So Jesus is. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. And some of you may be wondering, what in the world does Alpha and Omega mean? Well, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the beginning. In the end, I spoke the world into existence, and I'm going to be here when it all comes to an end. In other words, he's saying, I'm supreme and I'm sovereign. In our vocabulary today, Jesus would have said, hey, I'm the A to Z. I cover it all. He said, I'm the Alpha and Omega. And he's the one who's returning for his church. And as you look on down into verse 14 and 15, we have this. Picture of this description of Jesus. Listen to what John wrote. Again, it's on the screen. John says his head. Now, again, now John's seeing this, and as best he can, he's trying to capture it. He says his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. John, I am the first and the last. Now what's interesting here for me, John was known as the beloved disciple. Not that Jesus didn't like the other disciples, but it would appear that, that John and Jesus had a, a unique friendship, a unique relationship. the scripture says that oftentimes after dinner, which was customary, that, that John would just kind of recline at Jesus' feet. He'd just hang out with Jesus. So there was this unique relationship. Yet, when John has this revelation of Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, the scripture says, it's not this buddy-buddy relationship. In awe of Jesus, he falls flat on his face before the one who's the Son of God. Interesting. Jesus puts his hand on John's shoulder and says, John, don't be afraid. Now, why, why would Jesus say that? What I believe, I believe Jesus says to John, don't be afraid, because he's the Alpha and Omega. He set this whole thing into order, and he wins in the end. He says, don't be afraid. So in the first three chapters, section one, as we look to the book of Revelation, what do we see? We see Jesus as the Alpha and Omega. In the second section of the book of Revelation, we we find Jesus is the Lamb of God who's worthy to open the scroll. So this is chapters four and five. Who's Jesus? He's the Lamb of God worthy to open the scroll. Here's a a bit of Bible, Bible trivia for you that you might want to just remember. Who knows when you might get asked this question. But Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God 28 different times in the book of Revelation. 28 different times. Who's Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who who gave His life. And, And the scripture talks about He's the one who's worthy to open the scroll. So what's the scroll in reference to? If you look at chapter four, God's on the throne, and in his hand he holds this giant scroll that's sealed with seven seals. And this scroll is kind of like the last wheel in testament. It's kind of like a declaration of all that's to come and all that's to happen to the people of the earth. And John's like, "I want to see what's in the scroll." So the angel says, "Who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the seals? Who's worthy to open the scroll?" And and there was no one throughout heaven. And, and John begins to panic like he wants to know what is to come. He wants to know what the future holds. And, and the scripture actually says that he, that he begins to cry. Because they fa- can't find anyone who's worthy. When suddenly he looks and he sees the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 5 verses 6 and 9 makes this statement. John says, then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spears of God, sent out into all the earth. Verse 9 goes on to say, and they sang a new song. You're worthy, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation so in this section, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus so is the Lamb of God who brought redemption. Now this would have been significant for John's readers. Uh, for, uh, for the re, um, excuse me, for, for those who have been reading John's letter, these churches of Asia Minor, because they would have quickly connected this to what John the Baptist said. So a different John, John the Baptist As he's introducing Jesus, do you remember Jesus is beginning his public ministry, his earthly ministry. He looks, and here here comes Jesus. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, behold, what? The Lamb Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. What John the Baptist proclaimed when he introduced Jesus, John is now saying as he sees the fullness of who Christ is. John's readers would also quickly identify with this because of the Passover lamb. If you go back into the Old Testament, the, during the, the exodus of the children of Israel, they were, to, they were directed to take the innocent, spotless lamb, to slay the lamb, to take the blood, to apply it to the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over, which was a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah who would bring redemption through His blood. So John sees Jesus here as, as the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb that gave His life to bring redemption for mankind. Therefore, He's worthy to open the scroll. So, so who's Jesus in the book of Revelation? He's the Alpha and Omega. Secondly, he's the, he's the Lamb of God. In the third section of the book of Revelation, which is actually the longest section, chapters 6-18, through 18, we see Jesus who's the righteous judge, who righteously judges the earth. He's the righteous judge. In this section, evil is judged as the Antichrist rises to power and ultimately is ultimately defeated in the battle of Armageddon. So if you're wondering, where's all of this stuff about the mark of the beast? Where's all this stuff about the Antichrist in 666? Well, where's that? At? Well, it's here in this section. It's chapters 6-18. through 18. Like if you want to be freaked out a little right before you go to bed, read this section and like you're going to have crazy dreams all through the night. It was interesting. I'm not making this up. This really happened when my alarm went off at four this morning, like I'd been studying up into the evening getting the sermon finished. So I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Revelation. When I woke up at four this morning, I was coming out of the bed to get a cobra. I was, I was having this dream about snakes of all things. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I've been in the book of Revelation. And now I'm having these, these dreams about snakes and I don't like snakes. And, uh, so I, I don't know if it'll give you scary dreams, but, but it's that kind of stuff we find in, in this, in this section. Have you ever watching like religious tv shows and and you've got the prophetic guy on the tv screen with the weird hair saying let me tell you what's going to happen in the city of jerusalem let me tell you what's going to happen in the in this great city of babylon they're probably going to read from this this section of scripture well because here we have jesus the righteous judge so let me just quickly quickly give you some high points of what happens within this this section of scripture we have Revelation chapter eleven, we have the temple being rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the scripture says it's going to happen. So I I believe it's going to it's going to happen. Then, if you're interested in the Antichrist, you'll find information in Revelation thirteen and fourteen about the Antichrist. We have the beast rising out of the sea. Interesting, you'll not find the word Antichrist in the book of Revelation. You'll find the mentioning of the beast, which is synonymous. The beast and the Antichrist are the same. They're synonymous. And it's even it, even further interesting. If you read carefully, you'll see that there's a woman who gives birth to a beast. And some of you ladies here are thinking, "I've done that two or three times, right?" <laughs> that's not what that's not what John's talking about. He's talking about a different a different kind of beast, the Antichrist, who who comes out of the sea, who stands against, who is opposed to the will and the way of God, who deceives. Who um, deceives many. And eventually it's, it's in this section that you read about the Antichrist being overthrown. We have the, the Battle of Armageddon. It's also in this section of Scripture, Re- Re- Revelation 11, chapter 11, you can read about the two witnesses of God who were sent to preach during the tribulation. And they have the power to do miraculous things to shut up the heavens, the famines, the plagues. Interesting. People can kill them and they come back to life. Pretty wild. So there's some pretty. Pretty wild stuff that happens in this section of Scripture. But it's about Jesus, the righteous judge. He's bringing judgment on the evil of our world. Listen, our God is a God of grace and our God is a God of mercy. But He's also a God of justice. A God who will bring judgment on. And that's found in this passage of Scripture. There's also in this passage of Scripture, in this section... There's three different judgments, and I don't have time to go into them. You can read about them later. But the three different judgments mentioned in this passage of Scripture are the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. It was in these judgments that we read about water being turned to blood and the creatures of the sea dying, 100-pound hailstones. Can you imagine that? Wow. Wow. 100 pound hills, earthquakes, devastation. What? it's judgment. It's judgment upon the wicked of our earth. Listen, there's coming a time where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bring judgment. He's going to right that which is wrong. At Revelation chapter 16 verse 5 says this, Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the holy one because you have because you have so judged so who is Jesus in the book of revelation he's the alpha and omega first and the last he is the lamb of god the one who's brought redemption for mankind He's the righteous judge who brings judgment on the earth. In the fourth section, chapters 19 and 20, Jesus is the King of kings as He returns with His church. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Listen to how Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16 reads. I saw heaven standing open. Again, this is John trying to record a vision, a a vision of what he's seeing. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose riders called faithful and true. I mean, you know, good guys always ride the white horse, right? (laughs) He he comes on the white horse. With justice, he judges and, and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Verse 14 says, the armies of heaven were following him. That's us, the armies of heaven. We're going to be a part of this. Are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh, He has this name written, let's say it together, King of kings and Lord of lords. So in this section, who is Jesus? Because again, this is a revelation of who? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So in this section... Jesus is the King of kings and the the Lord of lords. We see Jesus victoriously leading His army. He comes from heaven as the warrior Messiah to establish truth and justice, to judge the nations and to wage war against evil. This is the the event for which the faithful of generations have waited. So Jesus is what? He's both the Lamb of God who gave His life for the redemption of mankind. And He's the King of kings. Who'll bring justice as he establishes his kingdom. And again, as believers, we're going to be a part of that. We're part of his kingdom that is established. So he's the King of kings and Lord of Lords. And we are the subjects of his kingdom. And lastly, in the final section, in chapters 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the book, Jesus is the bridegroom, as he takes his bride, the redeemed, into the heavenly city. Let's read about that in, in Revelation 21, beginning with verse 6. He said to me, this is Jesus speaking to John, He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and, and he'll be my son. Verse 9 goes on to read like this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bows full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, notice, and the wife of the Lamb. The bride and the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Amazing. So who's Jesus in this last section? He's the bridegroom as he comes to take his bride into the holy city, our heavenly dwelling place. Now, for all the men today, for all the dudes in the house, you're saying, I don't want to be the bride. Right? Like, come on. I don't want to be the bride. So don't think of this as male-female, of, of that, you know, so you're the, you're the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom and, and you're the bride. Don't think of the male-female. Think of it like this. Think of the union of husband and wife coming together. Just yesterday evening I facilitated a wedding and had a young couple standing in front of me and they were so stinking excited. They were coming together, husband and wife. The two were becoming one. They were coming into a greater union, a greater unity, a oneness. There's coming a time, folks, when we are going to be the bride to the bridegroom as we're in the presence of Jesus and we come into a greater knowledge, a greater understanding, a greater intimacy of relationship with Jesus as we are in the presence of Jesus. But we are the bride. He's the bridegroom. So what we discover in this section 21 and 22 is that in the end, evil is defeated. There's a new heaven and a new earth and we'll reign with Jesus forever. But in Revelation twenty two, the last book, excuse me, the last chapter of the book, verse seventeen, we have these words of invitation. And I want to leave you with this, because I, I think it's the invitation that Jesus is speaking to us today. It's what we find in the book of Revelation. But it's the same invitation that we have today. Listen to what Jesus said. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come come whoever's thirsty let him come whoever wishes let him take the free gift of the water of life and jesus has promised this both abundant life and eternal life jesus said i've come that you may have life and have that life in the overflow in abundance and john 3 16 jesus said if if whoever believes in me will have eternal life here in Revelation, Jesus say, hey, if you're thirsty, come. Some of you today, maybe you're in that place. I'm thirsty. I've been searching. I've been seeking. I've been looking for life, for purpose, for fulfillment. Maybe you've been looking. You've been looking in all the wrong places. Let me tell you where you find it. Jesus says, to all of the thirsty, come. The Lamb of God, who gave His life that we might have life, says what? Come. You're thirsty, come. And this is what I know, what I'm certain of, is the end is coming. Don't know when, but the end is coming. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're thirsty, if you're looking for life, I have life for you. And I love the way that he ends the book. The last verse of the book of Revelation, the last verse in the whole Bible reads like this The grace of the Lord Jesus, in other words, the favor of the Lord be with God's people. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Wow. We have Jesus in the book of Revelation as the Alpha and Omega. We have Jesus as the Lamb of God who's worthy to open the scroll. We have Jesus who's who's the righteous judge. Jesus who's, who's promised his return. We have Jesus who's Who's the bridegroom waiting for his bride? And as you, as you read the book of Revelation, as you begin to see it through the lens of Jesus. And it's a revelation of Jesus. You're not going to be anxious, you're not going to be afraid. What's going to happen is your faith's going to be built. And the very blessing that, that we found in, in the first chapter, Revelation 1 3, blessed are those who read the book, you're going to find that blessing. You're going to find your faith energized as you see Jesus reveal in the book that's about what's going to happen in the end. And here's the good news. When it's all said and it's all done, Jesus wins. Listen, there's a lot I don't know. You want to to drill me on the book of Revelation, I'll tell you before you drill me. There's a lot I don't know. I'm learning as you're learning, but this is what I do know. When you get to the end and it's all said and done, he wins. And because he wins, we win as well. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, may his favor be on you. And as the book of Revelation says, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.